Welcome to Woodlawn. I'm glad you're glad I'm here. That's good. That's nice. I appreciate that. 23 years ago, Stephanie and I did something that was a bit of a bigger deal than we thought. We were, how old? 25, maybe 26 years old, just gotten out of school, moved back to the Kentucky area, or to, to Western Kentucky, um, bought some land and started to build a house. Now, who here has built a home? Anybody? Some of you built a home recently, I know. Wasn't that just a joy? Yeah, I, I came to believe that at the end of that, if our marriage made it through, we were good. Like that, that was the test, you know? So I, at 26 years old, by the way, so that you know, I was not raised as a handyman. I was not raised as a carpenter. I am not an electrician, nor am I a plumber. I am not necessarily good at any of those things. I think I'm a human being with average intelligence. I can learn things. If someone will teach me, I can figure it out. I can watch. I can do it. There are several things I can do now, but at 26... I was none of those things, okay? And so guess what I decided to be? A general contractor. It was my job to hire the carpenters, the plumber, the electrician. I was going to build this house. I did it all myself. There's no way in the world I was going to let somebody else get 10 or 15 or 20% of the value of that house to do it when I knew I could do it myself. So I was just going to do it. Uh, it reminds me actually one time of a kind of a bit of an argument Stephanie and I had, and she kept telling me to do things a certain way that I didn't want to do. And I said, look, I'm the general contractor doing this. And she went, and I'm the owner, and you're fired. So we did it her way. But uh, uh, here's some of the things that I, that I got backwards. Um, I, I didn't realize that there were certain things that needed to go in certain order in order to do that. So the first thing I did, because I, I just was energetic and ready to go and tired of waiting on people to get there, is I took a chainsaw and I cut every tree that was in the way of all, where I wanted the road to be, the driveway. I, I just went through and I cut them all off right at the ground to which my bulldozer operator later explained to me that that was a horribly bad decision and it made his job much more challenging and it cost me money because of all the extra work he had to do because I didn't know this for your own good. You, when, you, when you cut down trees for the purpose of then removing the stumps, you leave them a few feet out of the ground so that they have some leverage upon which to push with a bulldozer. I, I ruined that, okay? I got it done fast. Well, then we got in and we staked out the corners and we decided where it was going to be and we started digging a hole. So we got the basement dug out. We got all those things finished. And then it came time to start uh, putting uh, all of our styrofoam. We use those insulated concrete forms. So it looked like big Lego blocks that you fill with concrete. So we got in, we started doing that. We had the, the floor built in the basement. We dug the footer. We got all that stuff. We built the first wall. We got all of that together. It came time to bring concrete. We mixed the concrete. We poured it into that. Then we built the second level and we got the second, it was just all different kinds of things happening. And then out of nowhere, someone came to me and said, where are the outlets so I can plug into the electricity to use my additional equipment that previously we've been using a generator? Like where, where are we going to do this? And I said, we, we don't have electricity yet because the house isn't finished. 
and the, and the contractor started, yeah, Mark's shaking his head. They're like, no, you don't understand. Getting a temporary electrical you know, plan is actually the first thing you should have done from the beginning. If you don't have any electricity here, then we can't run all of this equipment that needs to be run in order to build the interior and put the roof on and all those things that you need to do. And so we went on a bit of a hiatus for a few weeks waiting on the electric company to come out and get the temporary put in. And then it gets really funny. Then it gets really funny. So we kept, we built the whole house. We got all the plumbing, the black iron pipe for the propane. We got all of that installed and I was learning how to do this and getting it all done. And then it came time to inspect our plumbing. And I realized we don't have a septic system. Yeah, laugh, laugh all you want. There's no city sewer where we live, you know. Not only did I not have any septic system, Jim, uh, we had not had the ground tested to see whether or not a septic system would work. See, sometimes you get things out of order, you know. You get things out of order. and you, Now, fortunately, we had the ground tested. I don't know if our ground passed because it was good ground or if our ground passed because the guy from the health department did not have the heart to tell me that we had built a house in vain. You know, I, I don't know. Got it passed, got it done, got it hooked up, got everything. And guess what? It still works. Everything's still working 23 years later. I, I bring you into this story because I, I want you to understand the importance of the things from outside of your life coming into your life at, in the proper order and in the proper way. The, the, the final problem that we faced as home builders is that when our electricity was all ready to be inspected, uh, my brother-in-law is an electrician. He's a very good electrician. Uh, my other brother-in-law and I, we pulled all the wire. We, we wired up most of the receptacles. And then he did all the heavy lifting with the, with the, you know, the, the breaker board and all of that stuff. Got all that done. And then when the inspector came to the house, he had this all-powerful little notepad. And this little notepad is something the electric company puts out that only inspectors have and basically, he can say it passes or it fails, and he puts this sticker on the side of your, your building, your house, and when the electric company comes to install uh, the ability for the house to have power, the actual meter to set in it, that sticker determines whether or not you're ever going to have electricity in your house. When the inspector came and we walked through the house, he said, everything looks great, Brad. Very, very nice. You guys have done a good job. Tell your brother-in-law I did a good job. I'm proud of everything seems right. All I need is the map coordinates of what every breaker stands for. And I said, the, the what? I'm sorry? You need the, the what? And he said, I need to know what every breaker turns on and off. I said, I thought you were the inspector. Why don't you tell me what every breaker turns on and off? And he said, I'm going to give you a few days to get that all lined out, and I'm going to come back, and if you have everything you know, the way you need to have it, then you will pass. And at that point, you'll get the sticker. The sticker will mean that you can get you know, the meter, and the meter will mean that you can have power, Okay. See, I didn't realize I was taking steps or actually eliminating steps that, that limited my ability to have the power that I needed. 
I was, I was preventing it. I was standing in the way by not doing the right things or by doing things out of order. And in the long run, I'm sitting there in a house with no electricity, wishing I could move in. All we have is a little temporary board outside where you could plug in, you know, a few power drills, that kind of thing. Wishing we could move in and having not the ability to do that simply because I had missed a few steps, okay? The end of the story is we got it worked out. We got it drawn out on a piece of brown cardboard. And that piece of brown cardboard hung beside our breaker box until about three years ago when I finally went and typed it into a spreadsheet and got it all correct and printed it out the way that we needed to. This series is called Recharge. And we're going to talk a lot about why we don't have the power from God that we might wish we had or why we sometimes feel like the power that we read in scripture doesn't seem to show up in the life that we're living or how it is that we might go about finding more spiritual energy and power from the life that God has for us. This is going to be a good series. I'm excited about it as well. Let's, let's pray together and we'll get started. Jesus, we trust you. And I ask, Lord, that you would help me today to do a good job communicating your word, helping people see uh, all that there is to following you. Lord, I pray, though, that far beyond just knowledge, that in the next six weeks you would give us experience, that we would see you move in power, that we would see you move in power in our individual lives, in our relationships, in our friendships, in our marriages, in our parenting, that we would see you move in power in our own emotions, Lord. We bring to you today a lot of empty batteries, Lord. We're asking for a recharge. We bring to you, Lord, a lot of space that doesn't have power. We ask for it. We also pray, Lord, that you would show us the power of your spirit in our church as a whole that the next six weeks would be some of the best six weeks that we have any memory of, that we can look back to the next six weeks for the next six years as a time when you brought great blessing and power and strength. Lord, we trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Each week in this series, I'm going to read to you one verse from the 23rd Psalm. So we'll kind of begin with that. It's a little bit of a devotional. The first is this. Psalm 23, 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I'm under the care of God, and therefore I'm not going to have any great need that is beyond what he can provide. Okay? I'm under the care of God. So I want you to ask yourself that question right now. Does life feel like you are under the care of God? Like, like when you face the trauma, the difficulty, when you find yourself dealing with the sadness, when you see the disappointment, like at the end of those kinds of things, do, is it second nature for you to go, I'm under the care of God. I, the Lord is my shepherd. He is over me. I am not going to want for anything. I, I, I am not going to have needs that won't be met because the Lord is my shepherd. See, it's easy for us to forget that. My hope is that this series will remind us of what it means to be one of the sheep in the flock of the shepherd. Philippians 4, 4, and 5 tell us similar things. In other words, how should we react? How should we behave and think 
when we are people who are living under the shepherd's care. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, right? Uh, and, and the scripture goes on to say, let your reasonableness be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let's talk about this one for a second. Um, I'm, I know I'm saying some things that are pretty obvious, so this is not like some great revelation from your pastor by any means. But over the last five or six years, the levels of anxiety in our culture have gone way up. Way up. People who you would have known five or six years ago who never seemed to face any anxiety, many of those folks are now facing anxiety. Many folks are now going to their doctor, needing help, like, like trying to deal with how to get through these emotions and these feelings that I have. Uh, I, I have a lot of close friends who say things like this. I, I was a very active person in society, and now I really don't like being around crowds. I really feel uncomfortable being around people. Uh, I, I could even illustrate that we learned in the last five years, how as a church to sit a long way away from each other. Didn't we remember that? There was a time when we roped off different aisles and different things to try to keep distance. I get that. That was important at the time. Um, what ends up happening if we don't watch out with anxiety is that we have needs and we start to deal with whether or not those needs are going to be met and it brings up emotions and feelings in us. And those feelings sometimes translate to anxiety or worry or depression or worse. The scripture's not telling us that you're not going to have needs. The scripture, in the sense that you're not going to feel this desire to have a need met. The scripture's not saying, hey, listen, you're never going to feel that way. Don't worry about it. God's going to just create and finish all your needs even before you feel the need for them. That's not what's being said here. What's being said is that as we face life, we're going to experience needs, but because we're under the care of the shepherd, we're not going to want for those needs because we can trust him to meet those needs. So our job is to not worry about those needs. Our job is to take those needs to the one who can fulfill them. So we don't have to be anxious about anything. This feeling of, oh my gosh, I don't know how that's going to happen. We get to live life knowing, oh my gosh, I can't see the details of how that's going to happen, but I trust that I'm under the care of the shepherd. That's ultimately what's happening here. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm excited about feeling guarded. And honestly, I think it's one of the things that many of us lost during the COVID season was we didn't feel guarded because our favorite multivitamin didn't stop COVID, right? You know, the, the typical doctor's visit didn't, didn't stop it. The, the normal use of a good diet did not stop it. The way in which we knew how to use hand sanitizer didn't, didn't stop it. The, the things that previously made us feel healthy now we're gone and other things made us feel unhealthy or at risk of being unhealthy. We didn't feel guarded at all, not protected. We felt, you know, like we were laid bare, like we were open, like, like we were vulnerable. 
And those kinds of things cause us to feel all of these different emotions, many of which translate into anxiety. Here's what we're going to learn, not just today, but over the next six weeks, and specifically today as we lay the groundwork for understanding what the Bible teaches about the power of God. The first thing is this, that power comes through the Spirit of God. Would you say that with me out loud? Power comes through the Spirit of God. Here's what Acts 1.8 says. But you will receive power. Now, you got, you, those of you who've been around the church much, you know this word. This Greek word is dunamis. It's where we get the English word dynamite. Okay, So it's the whole power in small packages kind of visual here. You will receive power. This, by the way, is a promise from Jesus to the early disciples. As he is ascending to be with the Father, he is literally physically leaving their presence. They are nervous. They're anxious. They don't like the idea of their guardian being gone. And he says, you will receive power. So in other words, he recognizes they see that he has power. They're like, I have power. I'm leaving. But you will receive power. So now the power is being transferred from him to them. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, it hasn't happened yet in Acts 1.8. It hasn't happened fully in the way that we'll see it happen over time. It hasn't happened quite yet in Acts 1.8. He says, you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria to the end of the earth. So he's telling this group of people who are nervous and anxious about what's about to happen that not only are they going to receive power, but that the amount and the distribution of power they're going to have is going to cause them to spread and multiply. This is an energy that they're not used to. This is a power that they're not accustomed to having. And they've been promised this by God. Now, my big question to each of us, and it's not a judgmental question, okay? It's even intended to be a little playful at this point in the story. But the question is, are you powered up? Do you feel like empowered by God, like filled with his spirit, as if every strength of God's is in some way connected to you, available to you. I have to be honest and tell you, I don't always feel that way. I want to. I would love to. There have been seasons of my life when I really, really felt that way. Sometimes it's there. I would not be surprised if there are some folks in this room who go, absolutely, Pastor Brad, I feel like I have the power of God in my life all the time. I'm aware of it. I can sense it. It's a keen reality for me, and I live life empowered. But then I would anticipate there are others who would say, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. I think I've experienced it some in my life, but but no, I, I, I feel like God is waiting around to let me have that. Or maybe I've done something wrong. Or maybe there's some issue. Or maybe I don't have enough faith. Or maybe something's wrong with me or something. And I, I hear people talk about it. But no, I, I don't feel this sense of power. So here are some realities. Uh, there are a lot of religious things in this world that deliver you no power. Okay, how weird is that? Okay, so what you can't see is my nephew Logan was surprised by that. He did not do that. 
Because Logan, had you done that, dude, that would have been, I would have bought your lunch. That was good. The timing was great. I hope that doesn't mean this battery's about to go bad, so we'll, we'll find out. Uh, yes, right. I have to bring some new ones up here. That's a perfect, a perfect example. Uh, no, no power. Now here, let me, let me, I brought some things today to talk to you about what happens when there's no power. So this stays in the nightstand beside my house. Now I know everybody has a phone and all your phones have a flashlight. And those who are younger than me that live in my household don't think a flashlight matters anymore because they have their phone and that's nice and sweet. But I am a flashlight guy. I have a nice flashlight that I carry in my backpack. It's always there. And this sucker right here will brighten your day. If you know what I'm saying, this, I change the batteries every few months. Like I have it with me. We go on a long trip. This is in the trunk of the car, right? Like this is an important thing for me. I, I could do this. I could like, play with you guys. And for those on the screen, you can see that, you know, like, and, and that's on about a 50% battery, okay? This is one of the things I grab when there's no power at the house. Just grab it really quickly, okay? Or what about when there's no power to your car? Um, we, my wife drives one of those fancy half battery, half, uh, half gas cars. You, I don't know if you've heard of a Prius before, but we not only own a Prius, but we own a powder blue Prius, which specifically, if you Google it, you'll hear the comedian stand-up story of the humor behind driving a powder blue Prius. We love it. I don't want to get onto it. But, but the truth is that thing every now and then, the battery goes dead. You got something you got to do with it. Or if you're like one of my children, some of you have children who occasionally leave the key in the wrong spot on the truck or the headlights on or the, the lamp on on the inside, and then you need dad to bring this. Now, some of you remember the days when we used jumper cables, right? Who has jumper cables in their vehicle? Men, that's like, I want to go, that's the men, but then half of the people are ladies. It's the women. Yes, with the jumper cables. Uh, I had a college roommate who always carried jumper cables, but he was dumb as a stick. I don't know how he, no, I'm, t I'm kidding. I only said that because he watches these videos and Greg will know the humor of that. No, but nobody ever taught him the difference between a plus and a minus. You know what I'm saying? And so I saw him one day. I just made the assumption that every young boy knows how to use jumper cables. And so his car was dead. He popped the hood. I pulled my vehicle up. I popped the hood. And I didn't even get out of the truck. I'm sitting in my vehicle with the car running. And all of a sudden, electricity's going everywhere. Stuff is, the dash is going nuts in my car. And I get out. And I'm like, what have you done? And you know what he did, right? He hooked him up backwards. The same thing can happen with this thing. I bought this. I didn't know this existed. I bought this when I used to own a semi-truck. This was for jump-starting a large Cummins diesel engine. That's what this was for. You plug this thing into a car, and the car beside it starts. I mean, like, this, this, something, this is something that brings all kinds of power. And then lately, I've actually gotten interested in this kind of power. This is so, I, I know I've got some friends here, like, solar panels. He brought a solar panel. Awesome. That's kind of a cheap little solar panel, but uh, I like it. It provides power when you, need, when you need power. Let's walk through this. Visually, when I share with you the idea that your entire life needs to be filled with the power of God, the visual of, of, that, of that meter that's brought into the house, it's locked in and now the entire home is powered up, Right? Uh, that, that would be the visual for today of what it's like to have the Holy Spirit in your life, okay? 
But even still, in your average house, in the normal life, even though the Holy Spirit's presence is there, and even though the entire home is powered, there are these pesky little things in the house called breakers. The breaker doesn't control the whole house. It controls a portion, a small part, one room, maybe the light fixtures in the bathroom in your basement, maybe maybe the receptacles in the den upstairs. This one breaker controls a certain part. And that would represent for us in today's society as something that might be causing some sort of a disturbance in our connection with the Lord. The presence of God is still there, fully and totally there. But maybe, maybe there's a sin in my life that like, trips a bit of a breaker in an area of my, my discernment's not quite what it used to be because, because I've submitted myself to decisions that don't honor God in a particular place. Now that breaker seems like it's tripped, you know, or maybe there's a relationship that kind of has brought a lot of challenge and difficulty. Maybe there's a trauma, a pain that I've felt and just I'm having a hard time getting over. And in the long run, even though the presence of the Holy Spirit is in my life, it just feels like somebody went into my life and tripped a whole bunch of breakers. Where for whatever reason, I know God is there. I know that the power of God is present, but I, I don't seem to have access to it the way that I feel like the Bible teaches that I'm supposed to have access. And so God talks to us about what it looks like to deal with those things. So we're going to spend this entire six-week series dealing specifically with how to make sure and connect with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life in a way that is actually rewarding and true and good in the life that you're living. Okay, let's keep going. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says this, talking about those breakers I just mentioned. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless. These are not compliments, folks. These are really, really strong negative statements. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its what? Its power. Avoid such people. Avoid such people. This was just says, keep them away from you. Just don't. Don't. Can I give you permission for a second? I want to give you permission for something. Being a Christ follower means, you've heard me say this many times, being a Christ follower means that we have a great love for God. It means that we have a great love for God's people, and it means that in the way Christ would want us to, we have a great love for the lost people of the world that we want to find the gospel, meet Jesus, and spend eternity with him, okay? But that does not translate to, I have to have people with all those types of uh, the issues in their life, I have to just give them free run of who I am. And I have to just stay close to them. And I have to just give them permission to influence me. Because you don't. The Bible's really clear. You get treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure who don't love God in and around you, you need to be cautious and stay away from those people. It's not that you want eternal damnation for them. You're praying that they find Christ, meet him, and walk with him. But you're not the solution to the problem right now. 
Because right now there are choices, behavior, action are the kind of thing that could be tripping breakers all through your life, causing trauma and difficulty in you. You see, when it's time for a recharge, we have to walk away from the things that are taking life and energy and, and, and power from us and walk to the one who is in charge. We walk away from the one. We need a recharge. You return to the one who's in charge. This is the reality. All of a sudden, what happens is that, is that I get to go to the Lord and go, you know what, Lord, I've had sin in my life, and it's caused me trauma. I, I confess that sin to you. I ask you to forgive that sin. I'm going to go to a, a believer, a brother, a sister in Christ who will help me. I'm going to tell them, I'm really struggling with this. Help me walk through this. Guess what? All of a sudden, God starts flipping breakers. Power starts showing because you, you got trauma that causes pain. You're, you're beaten up by this pain. Then you go to the Lord with that and you say, Lord, I feel horrible. I feel broken. I feel lost in all of this. You also sit down with brothers and sisters in Christ and say, help me with this. Pray with me. Help me get through this. And all of a sudden what happens is you see God start flipping breakers back on in your life. You have some other issue that you're facing. You run to the one who is in charge. If you need a recharge. So let's jump to John 14. It's our big text for the day. Let me give you a little background. This is toward the end of Jesus' ministry. They have seen Jesus do some ridiculously cool things. They, they have been so impressed by the power that he has, and his power has convinced them that he is the Messiah. He is the coming king. He is the one to follow, and so they are following him but he's about to tell them that he's leaving. And so they're, they're going to be traumatized by the thought of now that they've found the one in power, he's not gonna be here anymore. Not in the way they've known him to be here. He's about to break it to them. He's about to explain to them how this is going to work. And he's about to give them direction about what it means to be empowered by God. So read it with me, if you will. In John 14, verse 15, says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Word can be translated counselor. Word can be translated lots of different ways, but ultimately one who is going to empower you. Okay? And he will be with you. How long? What's the length of time? Forever. He will be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Will be. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. In other words, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I in you. This is all new information for them, folks. The idea of this human being Christ who stands in front of them that they are learning is both all human and all God, that he is about to face crucifixion and death. He will then resurrect. He will show himself alive, but then he will be ascended to be with the Father, and he is sending to them this comforter. 
Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. In other words, you're going to continue being the men of God that you have been. You're going to continue moving forward. You're going to continue in the faith. He says, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I'll show up. Judas, not Iscariot, the other Judas, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? How are we going to see you, but nobody else is going to see you? And Jesus answered, and he said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. So he's setting this up as this big and beautiful thing that's about to happen. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. I love that, by the way. He's saying, I keep telling you to keep my commandments. I keep telling you to love me and do the things I told you to do and continue on and persevere and all of that. But then he goes, oh, by the way, the one I'm sending you is even going to help you remember what it was I told you to do. Okay? There's some empowerment coming from the Holy Spirit here. A couple of them are these. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to learn. The power to learn. The power to learn what others can't learn. Because of the presence in the Holy Spirit, of, of the Holy Spirit in your life, you have the opportunity to learn things from Him that aren't necessarily being presented to you any other way. And not just to learn, but to understand, to actually grasp this reality of the world in which you're living. He gives you the ability to do that. Holy Spirit, teach me, help me understand. We get that freedom. We have that opportunity and that ability. You don't get to stick around and say, you know what, I'm just an average or ordinary Christian. I don't really know all those things. I'm not the Bible scholar. I'm not the student of the word. No, you have the Holy Spirit's presence in your life and you have the word of God in your hand and you can learn and you can understand because you're expected to obey. Learn understand and then live it. Learn, understand, and live it. All of that comes empowered to you by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Here's something that I'm gonna say. It's not something everybody wants to hear, okay? And I don't even know that I'm really talking to anybody specific. I'm definitely not talking to anybody specific here, but there are a lot of folks who've been believers for a long time here, but I would even say to those on, on video and others, listen to me. There are so many things that people want to go to their pastor, their deacon, their church elder, their whatever, and say, tell me what I'm supposed to do. Tell me how I'm supposed to act. Tell me what choice I'm supposed to make. And the honest reality is your pastor, deacon, elder would love to help you with that. But they're not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you. And if you would be someone who says to God, I want to understand you. I want to learn what you're teaching me. And then I want to obey. I want to obey. 
The story of the rich young ruler is important for us because this is a guy who Jesus talks to and says, this is what you should do. And the guy goes, okay, I can do that. And he goes, well, this is what you should do. And the guy goes, okay, I can do that. And then Jesus goes, well, this is what you can do. And the guy walks away. So many of us have been churched to the hilt. Man, we have heard some sermons. We have heard some Bible studies. We have read lots and lots of the Bible. But when it comes to that choice of obedience... Your pastor can't do that for you. Your elder can't do that for you. Your deacon can't do that for you. You have to obey. And there's some beautiful understanding of the power of God that comes on the backside of obedience. On the other side of obedience, we have the power to obey. Folks, this is exciting and beautiful and wonderful. Keep keep in mind, because of depravity, Not all of humanity has the power to obey. We do because of all that Christ is doing in us. Let's keep going in that same story. Jesus is still talking to the same disciples, trying to help them understand how they're going to handle his presence no longer being with them in the physical way that it has been. He says, peace I leave with you. Don't lack peace. Don't freak out. Don't, Don't lose it. Peace I leave with you. I'm leaving you peace Peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. But then he goes, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you will, would have rejoiced. But I am going to the Father and the Father is greater than I am. Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, the presence of the Holy Spirit in you, is leaving with you the power to be at peace. But Pastor Brad, what if I face this? You still have the power to be at peace. What if that doesn't work out the way it's supposed to? You still have the power to be at peace. But what if it, what if it hurts? What if I lose? What if I fail? What if I don't reach the goal I set? Or what if I don't get what I thought I was supposed to get? You still have the power to be at peace. It's why the Bible describes God's peace as going beyond all understanding. Because it doesn't make sense. If you've never met someone in this situation, I hope that you have the opportunity to in your life, and that is to meet someone whose circumstances in life don't mathematically add up to peacefulness, and yet they're at peace. What you're seeing there is a direct manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, where he has given them the ability to be at peace. The problem is a lot of us won't let ourselves have permission to be at peace. We feel like, well, all this bad stuff has happened. I'm supposed to be sick because of it. No, no, you get to be at peace. All this disappointment has shown up in my life. I'm supposed to be ticked off. No, you get to be at peace. All this stuff's been taken from me. I'm supposed to be seeking retribution and resolve. No, you have the power to be at peace. 
You ever thought about how important forgiveness is in the gospel and how crazy it sounds that God would say to us that we should be people who forgive others even when they wrong us? Well, the reason you can do that is you have the power to be at peace. I don't have to live broken because you messed up and did something wrong to me. Why not forgive you, get over it, move on, be at peace, right? Lack of forgiveness, you've heard that right before. That's it's like the only weapon we hold, but ultimately it, it's used on ourselves, not the other person. We're just, we're just cutting ourselves up by holding on to bitterness. The other person's not worried about the fact that we're still mad at them about something. They're going on about their lives. We're over here, the one beating our head against the wall with a lack of forgiveness. No, be at peace. Let's keep going in the scripture. John 14, uh, verse 29, I think, and, and following says this. And now Jesus says, I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. In other words, I'm warning you that the Holy Spirit's gonna come into your life and it's a huge important thing and lots of power is gonna show up in your presence. It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen and I'm making sure you know about it so that you're looking for it. I will no longer talk much with you. In other words, I'm all, this is almost over. For the ruler of this world is coming, but he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then he goes, rise. Let us go from here. And by, that, by the way, that call, rise, let us go from here, is the beginning of Jesus taking his men into Jerusalem so that he will die. I've told you all you need to know. Let's go. Let's go. You see, the Holy Spirit's presence in your life gives you the power to learn and the power to understand and the power to obey and gives you the power to be at peace. But folks, we have the power, because of the, power, the presence of God, we have the power to overcome the enemy. We have the power to overcome the enemy. One of my favorite teachers says this. He says, at the cross... Jesus cut every demon's legs off at the knees. We don't have to be afraid of that. It doesn't mean we don't recognize the negative influence that the enemy brings. It doesn't mean that we don't, and I don't even really like this word, it's probably the wrong word, but like we don't respect the danger that can come from the enemy. Respect might be the wrong word, but I think you know what I mean by that. But we certainly don't have to live like he's in charge and we're not. We certainly don't have to live like Satan has some sort of empowerment over us because if we're learning and we're understanding and we're obeying and we're living at peace, then we are in fact breaking his influence in our life by the way that we live out of the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're not really the ones breaking it. It's already broken. We're just living, we're just living in that reality. There are far too many Christians who are scared to death of Satan because they don't realize that Satan is scared to death of them. At least they're scared to death. He's scared to death of the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in them. We got to know that and live with that confidence and that reality. And don't get it wrong, it's not personal confidence. It's not Satan better watch out because Brad's here. No, that doesn't, that doesn't help you at all right? Not at all. Satan better watch out 
because men and women of God who live by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is present in their life fully and completely, and the Holy Spirit doesn't play. Not with him. Make sense? We have the power to overcome the enemy. And we have the power to share the good news. Listen, I want to challenge you to do something. This is a heartbeat for me. Like, this is a real issue for me. And I struggle with even knowing how to articulate it. But let me see if I can. Okay? Uh, Christians are some of the first people on the planet, in my experience, maybe the first people on the planet, to run to be of service when there is bad news. Okay? Hurricanes hit islands, Christians show up with shovels. Okay? Mudslides take out villages, Christians show up with backhoes. They do. People bury their loved ones, Christians show up to pray and hug and encourage and if you're from the country, bring a covered dish, right? And showing up when there's bad news is a very important part of our faith and the way we relate to one another. But bad news is not our commission. Our commission, what God has told us to do, is to spread good news. And so here's where I, 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 I want to make sure I say this the best way. We don't need to get so caught up in paying attention to bad news that we forget spreading good news. Because yeah, we're empowered to help somebody walk through bad news, but we are even more so empowered to literally share the good news. And here's what I need you to understand. If we do a good job helping people understand the good news, then their bad news isn't so bad anymore. If we help people understand what Jesus is really doing in the world and what eternal life looks like and how fleeting and short this world is compared to the eternity that he has waiting for us, when we help people understand the good news, then it, it just totally wilts the depth of the bad news in their life. We could spend all day long just tending to the details of bad news without spreading the good news, and that's not success. It might feel good, it might feel nice, it might feel kind. But Christians, we are here to spread good news. That's why we're here. We spread good news to those who are dealing with bad news. We spread good news to those who don't yet realize that bad news is in front of them. We spread good news to those who've stopped believing any news. Because that is what the Holy Spirit does through us. He teaches us so that we understand and obey. He gives us peace. He gives us authority over the enemy so that in this world we live, nothing will stop us from spreading the good news. That's beautiful. That's exciting. You see, our power, this power from the Holy Spirit, it has purpose. You hearing me? It has purpose. Here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to stop right there. And, and we're going to, I'll jump into the rest of this message next week. But um, uh, this is an important reality. And one of the ways that we remember 
what it is that Jesus has done. One of the ways that we're reminded of the good news is that we take communion together. We celebrate what happens with the body and the blood of Jesus. We celebrate what happened on the cross, but we also celebrate what's constantly happening in people's lives.